Section three of the Underground Railroad, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part one, by William Still. Section three. Seth Conklin, Part three. A report found its way into the papers to the effect that Miller, the white man arrested in connection with the capture of the family, was found drowned, with his hands and feet in chains and his skull fractured. It proved, as his friends feared, to be Seth Conklin. And in irons, upon the river bank, there is no doubt he was buried. In this dreadful hour one sad duty still remained to be performed. Up to this moment the two sisters were totally ignorant of their brother's whereabouts. Not the first whisper of his death had reached them, but they must now be made acquainted with all the facts of the case. Accordingly an interview was arranged for a meeting, and the duty of conveying this painful intelligence to one of the sisters, Mrs. Supplee, devolved upon Mr. McKim, and most tenderly and considerately did he perform his mournful task. Although a woman of nerve, and a true friend to the slave, an earnest worker, and a liberal giver in the female anti-slavery society, for a time she was overwhelmed by the intelligence of her brother's death. As soon as possible, however, through very great effort, she controlled her emotions, and calmly expressed herself as being fully resigned to the awful event. Not a word of complaint had she to make because she had not been apprised of his movements, but said repeatedly that, had she known ever so much of his intentions, she would have been totally powerless in opposing him if she had felt so disposed, and, as an illustration of the true character of the man, from his boyhood up to the day he died for his fellow man, she related his eventful career, and recalled a number of instances of his heroic and daring deeds for others, sacrificing his time and often periling his life in the cause of those who he considered were suffering gross wrongs and oppression. Hence, she concluded, that it was only natural for him in this case to have taken the steps he did. Now and then overflowing tears would obstruct this deeply thrilling and most remarkable story she was telling of her brother, but her memory seemed quickened by the sadness of the occasion, and she was enabled to recall vividly the chief events connected with his past history. Thus his agency in this movement, which cost him his life, could readily enough be accounted for, and the individuals who listened attentively to the story were prepared to fully appreciate his character, for, prior to offering his services in this mission, he had been a stranger to them. The following extract, taken from a letter of a subsequent date, in addition to the above letter, throws still further light upon the heart-rending affair, and shows Mr. Johnston's deep sympathy with the sufferers and the oppressed generally. Extract of a letter from Rev. N. R. Johnston. My heart bleeds when I think of those poor, hunted, and heartbroken fugitives. Though a most interesting family, taken back to bondage tenfold worse than Egyptian. And then poor Conklin. How my heart expanded in love to see him, as he told me his adventures, his trials, his toils, his fears, and his hopes. After hearing all, and then seeing and communing with the family, now joyful in hopes of soon seeing their husband and father in the land of freedom, now in terror lest the human bloodhound should be at their heels, I felt as though I could lay down my life in the cause of the oppressed. In that hour or two of intercourse with Peter's family, my heart warmed with love to them. I never saw more interesting young men. They would make Remons or Douglases if they had the same opportunities. While I was with them, I was elated with joy at their escape, 
and yet, when I heard their tale of woe, especially that of the mother, I could not suppress tears of deepest emotion. My joy was short-lived. Soon I heard of their capture. The telegraph had been the means of their being claimed. I could have torn down all the telegraph wires in the land. It was a strange dispensation of providence. On Saturday the sad news of their capture came to my ears. We had resolved to go to their aid on Monday, as the trial was set for Thursday. On Sabbath I spoke from Psalm 12, 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at, from them that would enslave him. When on Monday morning I learned that the fugitives had passed through the place on Sabbath and Conklin in chains, probably at the very time I was speaking on the subject referred to, my heart sank within me. And even yet, I cannot but exclaim, when I think of it, Oh, Father, how long ere thou wilt arise to avenge the wrongs of the poor slave? Indeed, my dear brother, his ways are very mysterious. We have the consolation, however, to know that all this is for the best. Our Redeemer does all things well. When he hung upon the cross, his poor, broken-hearted disciples could not understand the providence. It was dark time to them. And yet that was an event that was fraught with more joy to the world than any that has occurred or could occur. Let us stand at our post and wait God's time. Let us have on the whole armor of God, and fight for the right, knowing that though we may fall in battle, the victory will be ours, sooner or later. May God lead you into all truth, and sustain you in your labors, and fulfill your prayers and hopes. Adieu. N. R. Johnston Letters from Mr. Levi Coffin The following letters on the subject were received from the untiring and devoted friend of the slave, Levi Coffin, who for many years had occupied in Cincinnati a similar position to that of Thomas Garrett in Delaware, a sentinel and watchman commissioned of God to succor the fleeing bondman. Cincinnati, 4th month, 10th, 1851 Friend William Still we have sorrowful news from our friend Conklin, through the papers and otherwise. I received a letter a few days ago from a friend near Princeton, Indiana, stating that Conklin and the four slaves are in prison in Vincennes, and that their trial would come on in a few days. He states that they rode seven days and nights in the skiff, and got safe to Harmony, Indiana, on the Wabash River, thence to Princeton, and were conveyed to Vincennes by friends, where they were taken. The papers state that they were all given up to the marshal of Evansville, Indiana. We have telegraphed to different points to try to get some information concerning them, but failed. The last information is published in the Times of yesterday, though quite incorrect in the particulars of the case. Enclosed is the slip containing it. I fear all is over in regard to the freedom of the slaves. If the last account be true, we have some hope that Conklin will escape from those bloody tyrants. I cannot describe my feelings on hearing this sad intelligence. I feel ashamed to my own country. Oh, what shall I say? Surely a God of justice will avenge the wrongs of the oppressed. Thine for the poor slave, Levi Coffin. N.B. If thou hast any information, please write me forthwith. Cincinnati, 5th month, 11th, 1851. William Still. Dear friend, thy letter of first instant came duly to hand, 
but not being able to give any further information concerning our friend Conklin, I thought it best to wait a little before I wrote, still hoping to learn something more definite concerning him. We that became acquainted with Seth Conklin and his hazardous enterprises, here at Cincinnati, who were very few, have felt intense and inexpressible anxiety about them, and particularly about poor Seth, since we heard of his falling into the hands of the tyrants. I fear that he has fallen victim to their inhuman thirst for blood. I seriously doubt the rumor that he had made his escape. I fear that he was sacrificed. Language would fail to express my feelings, the intense and deep anxiety I felt about them for weeks before I heard of their capture in Indiana, and then it seemed too much to bear. Oh, my heart almost bleeds when I think of it, the hopes of the dear family all blasted by the wretched bloodhounds in human shape, and poor Seth, after all his toil, and dangerous, shrewd, and wise management, and almost unheard-of adventures, the many narrow and almost miraculous escapes, then to be given up to the Indianians, to those fiendish tyrants, to be sacrificed. Oh, shame, shame! My heart aches, my eyes fill with tears. I cannot write more. I cannot dwell longer on this painful subject now. If you get any intelligence, please inform me. Friend N. R. Johnston, who took so much interest in them and saw them just before they were taken, has just returned to the city. He is a minister of the Covenanter Order. He is truly a lovely man, and his heart is full of the milk of humanity, one of our best anti-slavery spirits. I spent last evening with him. He related the whole story to me as he had it from friend Conklin, and the mother and children, and then the story of their capture. We wept together. He found thy letter when he got here. He said he would write the whole story to thee in a few days, as far as he could. He can tell it much better than I can. Conklin left his carpet-sack and clothes here with me, except a shirt or two which he took with him. What shall I do with them? For if we do not hear from him soon, we must conclude that he is lost, and the report of his escape all a hoax. Thy friend, Levi Coffin. End of section 3